Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On the program today, the White House Correspondents' Dinner was on Saturday, Nick. What are we doing here? Let's be honest, what are we doing? Well, your guess is as good as ours, Trevor. <laughs> Nick and I with some takes on that event. Plus, ESPN anchor Sage Steele doesn't understand how free speech works. We'll explain it to her in our final segment. And later on, Deputy Chief of Staff for Representative Adam Kinzinger, Maura Gillespie joins the pod to discuss her time in D.C. working not only for Representative Kinzinger, but also House Speaker John Boehner, what bipartisanship should look like on Capitol Hill, and her message to Republicans for the upcoming midterms. And finally, Nick and I will say hi to the haters in our latest dip into the show mailbag. Nick, I know you're excited for that one. Uh, how are you, my friend? How's everything? I'm good. I'm I'm feeling my old age, man. <laughs> I just bought a Why? elbow compression sleeve for my, oh. my, my I'm I, when I shoot the when I shoot the basketball, I shoot uh left-handed. Right. Um yeah, I mean I I play a lot these days. Just we have a hoop outside and it's part of my meditation, man, just getting some shots off. But it's it's catching up. I'm feeling a little, you know, a little tendonitis in the elbow and yeah. you know, I had to finally say, All right, enough's enough. Get get a sleeve and <laughs> yeah, I've already got sleeves for my knees too when I used to play you know, with folks at the gym uh, before the pandemic. So again, old sucks, everyone. I was going to say, I've seen your athleticism. So times it by 10, even though you're 43, <laughs> it's probably the movements of a 63-year-old man. Um, Please. <laughs> listen, <laughs> I'll still bust that ass on the court. Uh, oh, yeah. Yourself, okay. But. All right. All right. Everybody here, uh, email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com who you think would win in a one-on-one. Uh, it should be 100 to zero in my favor, but uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll record that and uh, post that to the That'd show awesome. YouTube account. One Absolutely. Um, listen, you know what? Let's get into the mailbag before we actually jump around into the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Recently, our episode that we did on the border 
Um, I was texting you because a few folks have been hitting up the show account to respond to uh, the episode and and some of your uh, the way you frame some questions. So I wanted to give first some context to the to the people listening. Um, one person said, uh, why is Nick using the term white Europeans? Uh, it seems also the guest you've had on was very partisan. Um, Nick, some takeaways real quick from people not understanding that we just had a reporter on who is literally five miles from the U.S. border and has been covering this for 20 plus years and meets with CBP uh, officials and agents and governors in both Texas and in Mexico. What more what more partisan do you want, folks? Like how, how, how much bipartisan do you want here? Yeah, I, it's an interesting comment uh, catching me bringing that up. I mean, I, I brought it up mostly because of you know what we're seeing play out with Ukraine. Um, actually, after that episode, I believe there was a story that had broken out about I forgot the country now where basically you've got you know people who look like me, you know, refugees from Afghanistan being made to give spots up to Ukrainian refugees and um, white European seems to be appropriate to describe what, what we're seeing as a situation where we're make, making room uh, in camps, you know, for people of a, of a lighter skin tone. But by that the way, being said, there are certainly quick, Europeans who are, you know, obviously non-white and th- th- that's fair to call it out. But I, I think that's kind of like kind of picking at pieces there. And you know, I was going to say real, real quick that that story uh, about the Af- Afghanistan refugees um, leaving is actually, I believe, in Germany that that was happening. If the news publication is correct, that I remember from AJ Plus, which is a, a news agency out in Germany, talking about the displacement of some refugees that were taken in when everything happened in, in Afghanistan. And now they're going to be displaced in favor of the Ukrainian refugees. Um, Another person asked a question about the the secret flights that the Biden administration allegedly has approved, according to a New York Post article, uh, these dark migrant flights to an airport outside of New York City. And somebody was like, when are you going to cover this? And so obviously I did a little bit deeper of a dive here from the New York Post. And the New York Post article is all innuendo and speculation. It doesn't talk to any of the migrants. It's maybe like a group of 10 people. They waited and followed a bus that had dropped off a couple of different people to different locations. It makes assumptions that that these people were all undocumented and that the and the federal government is paying for this. Um, Speaking of white Europeans. Yeah, right. I was taken so aback by this. I I, I just didn't didn't understand um, where this this article came from, like and, and somebody pointing to it as a reputable source. The New York Post as a reputable source, Nick. Um and I'm here to be fair, and I'm critical of the post as well. It's a it's another Murdoch publication, um, and I'm critical of anything that Rupert Murdoch puts out because history tells us it is slanted and it's meant to be um, more infotainment than it really is to be informative. Um, I, I read the story because Mike, you shared it with me too, and I I, I know it's the same thing. I'm reading it; it's telling me that people are coming off the bus and we're assuming citizenship status, and I have to call into question if these people were white. Are we doing the same thing? Because there are certainly cases of white people in this country who are not naturalized citizens, but we are often too interested in people that have a darker skin tone and questioning their citizenship status. So the person who brought that article up, I'd ask him to de- to dive a little deeper. Forget the journalist who wrote that that piece, which we should call into question. That person themselves can go ahead and find out the bus's point of origin, what it's doing. But I think it's I think it's a little messed up <laughs> to look at people coming off a bus and saying. Um, well, 
they, they seem to be illegal. There's no justification for that. And the New York Post is simply stirring the pot. It's unfortunate. You know, we're playing these citizenship games, especially in a country that is completely founded by immigrants. I think we, we tend to forget that often. Uh, so to that person who, who you know, put that article in, um, I don't think it's enough. I, I read it. It does not point to me the citizenship status. It's a, it's a lot of innuendo, as Mike put it. Um, and that's, that's awful telling to the person who sent that to us and to the article that was written about. The one thing I would leave people with is Nick and I are not border agents. We're not reporters from the border. <laughs> we don't listen. We're both child of immigrants. Um, and obviously we could feel in one direction, obviously towards this. Um, and that's why we bring people on the program that are covering it, that have traveled there, that live and work there. You know, if you if I, what I told one of these uh, people that responded to us, if your ears are trained to hear something and you think that Lauren Villagran, who is a fantastic reporter, at the El Paso Times, you think that she's very partisan, leaning one way when she was talking about things that the Obama administration did. Uh, and she mentioned the ebbs and flows of the border, the numbers from the border this year, um, uh, almost two million migrants last year were encountered. Same number is going to happen again this year. That's what CBP has has targeted projections wise. It's the same thing. She said, no matter the administration, it's the same thing. And then she talked about practicality. I was very shocked to hear that, that somebody thought that she was partisan. Uh, so anyway, I want to transition off of that. Um, let's transition into the White House Correspondence Center that happened on Saturday, because I caught some of this uh, in the clippings and, and, and it was making the rounds across the media spectrum and some of the jokes, obviously, Trevor Noah was a guest speaker there, James Corden. You had a bunch of celebrities. This is something that didn't really happen during the Trump administration. I think the Biden administration just recently resumed it. You heard at the top Trevor Noah saying, why are we doing this, et cetera, et cetera. But take a listen to some of the highlights from the evening. We're here to show the country that we're getting through this pandemic. Plus, everyone had to prove they were fully vaccinated and boosted. So if you're at home watching this, and you're wondering how to do that, just contact your favorite Fox News reporter. They're all here, vaccinated and boosted. All of them. Fox News, I'm, I'm really sorry your preferred candidate lost the last election. To make it up to you, I'm happy to give my chief of staff to you all so he can tell Sean Hannity what to say every day. It is my great honor to be speaking tonight at the nation's most distinguished super spreader events. No, for real, people, what are we doing here? Let's be honest, what are we doing? Like, did none of you learn anything from the gridiron dinner? Nothing, huh? You guys spent the last two years telling everyone the importance of wearing masks and avoiding large indoor gatherings. Then the second someone offers you a free dinner, you all turn into Joe Rogan, huh? Uh, now, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Trevor Noah, and I'm, I'm really honored to be here, honestly. Um, you know, because you could have picked any comedian. You could have invited anyone, but you went with the South African variants. Very on theme. Everyone relax. You know, I know everyone in this room is worried about who catches you laughing at what, and, but just chill. Just chill. We're celebrating. We're out. You know, get comfortable. Not too comfortable, Jeffrey Tubin. Not too comfortable. <laughs> No, you know what? No, don't, don't ooh him, bunch of haters. You know what? So what, Jeffrey? You made a mistake. You whipped it out in front of your co-workers. That's the first step to winning a Grammy for Comedy Album of the Year. You're halfway there, my friend. That one, that one was my favorite one. The Tubin one. 
<laughs> two for one was my favorite one. There was there was some other jokes uh, from the evening that we didn't play there. He said one to Dr. Joe Biden. He said, uh, even as first lady, Dr. Joe Biden continued her teaching career. You might think it's because she loves teaching so much. It's actually because she's paying off her student debt. Sorry about that, Joe. Guess you should have voted for Bernie. Trevor Noah said, uh, Mr. President, thank you so much uh, for having me here. I was a little confused about why me, but then I was told you get your highest approval ratings with a biracial African guy sitting, sitting next to you. Uh, that one was pretty good. Uh, a bunch more uh, from that. If you want to check out Trevor Noah's full monologue there, you can check it out on YouTube. Um, obviously, President Biden spoke, like I mentioned, a few other comedians. The event, it's it, the funniest thing I saw was a tweet from a former Obama speechwriter, John Favreau, who's the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Off, Offline with John Favreau, and, and also Pod Save America, the Crooked Media guys. And he tweeted out, only CNN would have eight people on a panel to do a preview show of the White House Correspondents Dinner. And I, I was just like, I was sitting there thinking the exact same thing. Like, it's almost like, is this, this was their Super Bowl? I was like, what are you doing? I don't, I don't even think, I don't even know if Fox aired the thing. I, I didn't flip around, but um, your takeaways on some of these jokes that, by the way, they land, but like, there's a lot of truth in some of these jokes. I mean, Jeffrey Tubin, we're laughing about Jeffrey Tubin whipping out his, you know what, uh, on a Zoom call, but that's terrible. And the way he's been ingratiated back into CNN's rotation of analysts is despicable. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you can easily get any other legal analyst. We've had two of two others from 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 their roster of legal analysts on this pod. You don't need to have Jeffrey Tubin. It's a joke that Jeffrey Tubin is is back and working. Uh, the, the President Biden made some approval number jokes that you know are hitting home. You know, he was like, "I'm in a room where uh, I'm I have a higher approval rating than some of the people in here," because he was making a joke about the journalist, et cetera, and how people feel about news media. I mean, there was so many like jokes that really, really hit, you know, uh, spot on. It's almost like they waited th three years uh, to hit some of these. What, what were some of your takeaways from what we played there in the montage? Yeah. I mean, basically it <clears throat> feels like a comedy central event. Um, you know, I, I texted this to you, Mike, and I'll, I'll share this with the, with the audience. Uh, anytime a Kardashian shows up at your event, it's immediately lost credibility to me. Um, you know, uh, shout out to the family. <laughs> yeah, obviously, shout out to the family and their Hulu show. And I, for the life of me, still don't know why they're famous, but that's okay. But I mean, I saw I saw that I saw, you know, Kim there with Pete Davidson. I saw some other celebrities. And I always thought this event was to celebrate those who do the important job of covering Washington. Maybe I'm naive. Uh, it, it seems like it's lost its point. It, it feels like the Met Gala, which honestly is just an opportunity for people to hobnob. It's basically the Oscars without a trophy. So I don't. I didn't watch it. Um, the jokes were great, but it's I, I'm I'm lost at the purpose of it. Um, aside from you know Biden getting some funny things off, um, you know it's I, the purpose is lost on me when it becomes a, a matter of celebrity culture. One segue I will make to our next segment, which is our next guest. What you saw at the White House Correspondents Dinner, funny enough, was some bipartisanship, and we will have somebody on in the next segment to talk about bipartisanship, what that looks like over the last 12 years. She has served in Congress for former House Speaker John Boehner and now current Representative Adam Kinzinger. Uh, that is Maura Gillespie, the Deputy Chief of Staff for Representative Kinzinger. She is on the program in the next segment. Maura, after the break. Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by the good folks at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a foundational nutrition for just about everyone. Nick, what do you know about the healthy stuff over there at Athletic Greens. I actually currently use it. 
um you know it's funny uh, a few months back you know i made some just changes in my health so one of the things i did was just redid my breakfast <laughs> i was just you know was going through different um you know powders and protein stuff just to find a healthier way to get started to get started with my day didn't mean for that to rhyme but i came across athletic uh, athletic greens and it was just super helpful just make a shake in the morning get my coffee and i feel great i don't really need anything else for the rest of the morning and you know, weight's coming off i feel a lot better i'm starting my days a lot more effectively so i've I've just been blown away by the by the service just the stuff and that's the big thing like whenever you buy these type of these type of you know shakes and whatnot you gotta look real carefully at the ingredients and one thing that athletic greens does a good job is you know they've got 75 vitamins minerals whole food source nutrients and all of it just easily available in your blender bottle or however you're mixing it. I tend to be a blender bottle fan myself, so I'm a huge fan. That's it. Well, listen, Athletic Greens is committed to the highest quality ingredients and manufacturing process. Obviously, their AG1 is made in New Zealand at a TGA registered facility. Their philosophy is to focus on a very small number of products based on what the latest science indicates is essential to human health. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free, free Nick, one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do right now is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. There's a link in our show notes page. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. I'm excited to talk to our guest today because, Nick, we need somebody that works inside the chambers of Congress to help us make sense of everything that's happening on the Hill. No one better than Deputy Chief of Staff for Representative Adam Kinzinger, uh, Maura Gillespie, Maura, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Maura, you know, I reached out to you and told you a little bit about what we do on this show, really informing and educating. Uh, We've had former government officials on this pod. Uh, We've had people that cover what it's like working in government. Before we get into all of that, I would love for you to share with us, as we've asked other folks that have come on the pod that work in the political sphere, how'd you get your start in D.C.? What made you want to work in public service and government? So I actually, it's going to sound a little nerdy, but in high school, I did presidential classroom and it's kind of like a mock Congress. So sort of how model UN, it's a mock Congress and knew I wanted to be in DC, went to Loyola, registered, you know, to be in political science and our first freshman year professor encouraged all to do internships. So being in Baltimore, you're not too far from DC. So I got started working on the house floor. I served uh, as an internship in the summer of 09 and it was under then Republican leader John Boehner. So came back, did another internship in my senior year and it was the fall of 2010 where the Republicans took back the house. So great time to be there and as the the Boehner team was moving over to the speaker's office I got a job. I applied to be staff assistant and got hired beginning of my senior year. So I started working as a staff assistant for the speaker of the house January 2011. You know, building off of that, what you just mentioned about the party, something that has to be sort of explored is this is the idea of bipartisanship. You know, you've been fortunate enough to be in a situation where in your span of time working in Congress, 
the spirit of bipartisanship seems to have taken some different twists and turns. I'm, I'm mincing words here. I'm trying to be polite. But the reality is, at least from an outsider's view, it seems far more polarized now than it has been previously. Is that a safe assessment? And just from your experience, what is what, what has been the spirit of bipartisanship look like, um, you know, where from where you started to where we are at, at this moment? So I've been on the Hill now about 11 plus years, and it has changed dramatically in my view from where I'm, you know, from where I sat from, and I'm an anomaly on the Hill, I will say, as far as the staffer goes, because, you know, I stayed in, with my first boss for better part of five plus years. And I've been with my current boss for six, almost seven years. And that is not the norm. Most Hill staffers go from one office and then they have an opportunity to grow. And so they, and that, that's wonderful. Um, but for me, sitting with the, serving with the Cong- uh, Speaker Boehner and Congressman Kensinger, two members who understood, in my view, what it meant to serve, and that is bipartisanship. That compromise is not a dirty word, nor should it be. And I think both Boehner and Kensinger understood that. They got it. They, they ran for Congress for the right reasons. Um, I, I'll just quickly say, you know, with Speaker Boehner, members would come back to the speaker's suite and go into his office, Democrats, Republicans, if they wanted to talk to him, his door was open. And it wasn't uncommon for us to see a Democrat walk back and want to talk to the speaker. I don't know that that ever happens now. I would guess not. Um, I think that the bipartisanship on the Hill has been strained significantly. And I think January 6th and what happened and those who didn't vote to certify the election only worsened that, you know, that, that divide with Democrats, Republicans. You know, I'm so glad you segue into that because, you know, recently, Representative McCarthy, there's been some tapes that have made the media circuit rounds about his comments, you know, about former President Trump and the responsibility he bears for January 6th. Obviously, Representative Kinzinger is on, uh, you know, the January 6th committee. I know uh, Representative McCarthy, excuse me, House Leader, Minority Leader McCarthy has made some comments about Adam serving on that committee. What do you make of the the people within the party turning on Kevin McCarthy due to these tapes coming out? And then what do you make of the the duality of the comments, right? Because publicly he's over here, you know, chastising Adam for joining this committee and and saying that this is a sham. And then privately, he's actually saying what should be said, right? Which is what happened on January 6th was a travesty and and a tragedy in this country. So what do you make of both? My first reaction is that it's not surprising. It's disappointing, but it's not surprising that uh, the duality of the comments, what's being said in public and what's being said in private, and even the fact that trying to walk it back and, and say that, deny that he said it, right? That stuff doesn't surprise me. What I think the impact will be is that, and with Leader McCarthy talking about, you know, making comments about Congressman Kensinger serving on the committee, same with um, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, history will tell this story and I know and I believe that Congressman Kinzinger and Cheney and those all in the committee will be on the right side of history. I can't say the same for several in the party who voted not to um, certify the election. And for those who are lambasting Leader McCarthy for what he said in private, but because they're upset that he didn't double down in support of Trump from day one, that, that just speaks volumes, unfortunately, the extremists that we have in the GOP. Um, so it's it's. Not surprising, unfortunately. Speaking of the extremists, you know, in, in the party at the moment, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had on a reporter from the Los Angeles Times, uh, Nolan McCaskill, and, and something he'd observed, which was interesting, was, you know, the inter- the 
the relationships that we're seeing with what you as you mentioned a moment ago with those on the extreme right you know of the party um with those who and i'll speak only for myself here that seem more level-headed <laughs> that seem to have uh, you know america's interest best at heart um you know more middle of the road but it appears that sometimes when when cameras are on social media is involved some members of the party tend to basically take on what could best be considered an extended personality. In your experience, is, is that assessment correct? Are you seeing more of a performative stance from those on the, on the more extreme side of the party that, that doesn't gel with just as human beings when you're all seeing them in the halls of Congress? I would agree with that. I think there are a lot of members who ran to be famous. They ran for power or a perceived sense of power as opposed to running to serve the people that they claim to represent. I think that there's a very big difference. And again, kind of contrasting it with my time in the speaker's office to now, and what we're seeing with even just the last few years of people running solely to make a name for themselves. And I think that that does, is just such a disservice, not only to the institution, uh, but to the people who they're supposed to represent, who are getting a fame seeker instead of you know, a principal leader. And part of what, so the congressman's efforts on country first, it's a movement, uh, it's part of the mission is to take out the most toxic and partisan politicians and the extremists that are running and uh, targeting them in the primary. You know, on that subject of um, what personalities we're seeing play out and, and why people are getting in, I appreciate you acknowledging that people may be seeking fame almost equivalent to reality TV stardom is social media to blame for that in the sense it's become a new avenue for people to put their message out beyond television, radio, newspapers. But now you have a a forum that's now almost, you know, 15, 16 years old, that seems to be a new platform for, again, for more extreme voices. And is that watering down or just taking away the way messaging should look as it relates to of all things, you know, (laughs) serving the people of the United States of America? As a communications professional and as somebody who uh, has you know, studied history and was political science major, I would say, yes, it definitely has had an impact. There are positives in, to having that opportunity to talk to your constituents directly, quickly. But I would say on the larger scale, members of Congress were never supposed to be famous. They were never supposed to be um, you know, this, this much access or to their every thought, their every whim, what they had for breakfast, things like that weren't supposed to be shared as as readily as they are because they were, you know, supposed to be elected officials that were representing their constituents, 700,000 of, you know, whichever district, um, not, you know, a, a talking head, essentially. Uh, so I definitely think that social media and how quickly things have to go out. So I will say as as someone who used to, you know, help craft press releases, I still do press releases, but do I think that everyone's reading every lovely letter I send out or every email I send out? Probably not. I'm realistic. They'd rather see it in a tweet. They can read it easily, retweet, share, move on. Uh, so yeah, that has changed how we message, but on the other side of that, you know, it's helped us and, you know, caused us to become more creative in how we reach our constituents. Um, because t- to me, Twitter is largely a certain crowd. I don't think everyone in the congressman's district is on Twitter. So I have to reach them other ways. Local radio is a great opportunity to talk to people. Yes, press releases that I know will get picked up by the local paper. We can reach them that way. Um, but social media has been tough. And I think to your point, 
causing people to run for office that maybe don't have the best of intentions. Maura, I want to get into, uh, obviously, we all know Representative Kinziger is uh, is retiring uh, at the end of his term and not running for re-election. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you feel like his retiring kind of sends a bad message that the good people in politics are are leaving, you know, and, and the further leaning folks in the extreme directions that don't have the best interest for the general public are able to kind of capitalize on that. Like what it's almost like the good guys are deciding to quit. So what say you about uh, him retiring this, this uh, at the end of this term and, and, and what that says about either not staying to fight the fight, or is it more of like, we can do it in a different way through the country first initiative that you guys are doing. And I think that's exactly what it is. The Congressman is in his sixth term. And so I think, in a lot of ways, he's outgrown the House and he has seen an opportunity to take his fight for democracy, but also against extremists, against this toxic tribalism onto a national scale, onto a national level. And I'll say it's hard to do both when you're currently serving and you're representing 700,000 constituents in northern Illinois down to the, you know, down to the Indiana border and doing that while also taking on what is the cancer of the GOP it's hard to do. It's hard to do both. And I think for him, it's time for him to focus his efforts on that. And so he is focusing his efforts on country first. Uh, it's grown exponentially in the last year since we launched. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he does with it and, and where it goes from where it currently is, truthfully. Um, but part of that is taking on uh, these extremists in the party, but also who are running down ballots and so not just for congressional seats, but um, you know, state legislatures, state secretary of state, we're, we're looking at several races through, um, you know, kind of people who showed up for January 6th, right? The people, those people are running. They're running for state house seats. So we have to, yeah, we have to get people involved in the primary. The percentage of people who vote in a primary is very small. And so we're looking to, tra- to change that. Something you said a moment ago um, made me happy. Honestly, you were describing, uh, well, for one, I've done local radio, but then more importantly, you identified the fact that you were speaking to the district that um, that Representative Kindiger serves, and you spoke about you know what messaging what makes sense. Where do you see? Tell me about your district. Honestly, I just want to hear more of how does a representative put that more to the forefront? Because it seems like, and it's not. I mean, I'll put social media to the side for a moment, but it seems like for those who serve a term, which is two years or six in the Senate that there's a lot of conversation of the national discourse, but not so much as as a representative of a particular district. So, for example, I live in eastern Pennsylvania. Susan Wild you know, is our, is our representative. And obviously, as a voter, you know, that's the discourse I need to have with her. It's like what matters uh, in the Lehigh Valley you know, where I live. But for, for your team, what does that local interaction look like? And is there a challenge with trying to maintain that focus locally and not get into what some what often feels like a national discourse that is very much performative, and it's not based on the reality of serving two years and focusing on your district first. Absolutely. So in my job I've, as communications, you know, I'm deputy chief of staff, but my main focus for the congressman has been communications, and he has a national profile, which again over the last seven years we've built up and has has certainly changed how we do media. But the big focus we have always had was how do we tie things back to the district? 
the 16th district as it currently stands, which will change, but as it currently stands, uh, goes from Rockford all the way up to the Wisconsin border down to the Indiana border. So it's a very large district. Main focus is there, agriculture, manufacturing, and nuclear energy. So we have four nuclear generating stations, which is the most of any district in the country. And so tying in energy, which again, the Congress serves on passport affairs and energy and commerce. But we tie in a lot of the, for example, um, for years, we've been talking about Russia's stranglehold on oil and energy in Europe. So talking about that and tying it back to the district because they understand the importance of having energy independence. Um, so we do find ways constantly of how to talk how to talk with our constituents about what's happening both on the national and at the local level and try to make those connections for them, why it matters to them, explaining to them why this matters um, to their individual communities, to their schools. Uh, so, you know, we do absolutely make that a focus of ours for sure. Maura, before we let you go, and can't thank you enough for coming on the pod. Um, I want to read something that I loved on your LinkedIn bio. Uh, so sorry to make you blush for a second, but it says here that Maura is an expert on communication strategy and messaging. We're going to really put does. that. We're going to put that to the test. Bio. You'll say put right. it all out on Front Street. My That's goodness. right. And well, she puts it out on Front Street. It's out in the public. <laughs> Maura, what, in your opinion, should the Republicans that are in the mold of Representative Adam Kinzinger, uh, what should they be doing from a messaging standpoint for the upcoming midterms? The ones that are moderate leaning, that want to distance themselves from the extreme of the party, what should they be doing from a messaging standpoint to get people on board to vote R in the midterms? Focus on their constituents. Remind them why it is that they are running and to serve them. Truthfully, that's how you're going to win a re-election. I know it's easier and it's more newsworthy to talk about whatever, whatever else is going on, but a big part of it is not being so reactive to everything. If we have to respond to everything that's happening on Twitter, uh, you're going to lose. It's just not, you're never going to be able to keep up. You're never going to be able to make everyone happy. That's one thing. Just remember that. But telling and speaking directly to your constituents, engaging with them so that they remember why did they vote for you in the first place? or why they would wanna vote for you this time. I think that's the biggest part of it. Staying away from, uh, honestly, the, the drama is probably gonna help them in the long run. Well said, Maura Gillespie, Deputy Chief of Staff for Representative Adam Kinziger. You can check out also countryfirst.com that we were talking about earlier on in the interview, country1st.com. Yep. Uh, thank you so much more for hopping on the podcast. Continued success to you and yours. Stay safe. Truly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Today's episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast is presented by UseCardboardBoxes.com. Nick, a new sponsor to the show, UseCardboardBoxes.com. What are you using when, whenever you, when you guys moved to Eastern Pennsylvania? How did you get boxes and pack everything up? Did you pay movers? Take me through that process. Yeah, we we, we did pay movers. Um, so we went, through, well, I mean, again, we've done a couple of moves. So most recently to, to Pennsylvania. Yeah, we had to go through that process, you know, get movers and they bring their own boxes. And yeah, it's not, it's not the greatest thing. I got to be honest. Um, so, you know, when you mentioned this organization, like I started reading up on them. It was fascinating, folks. First and foremost, with used cardboard boxes on the website, it's telling you one of the most important data points. Currently, 5,461,100 trees saved because of the work of this organization. Um, I'm blown away by it, so I'm excited to use them. And we have all kinds of stuff. We're not moving anytime soon, but I definitely need things to get boxed up and donate or just move around the house. So I'm excited to use them. 
Listen, I've used, I've personally used usedcardboardboxes.com. I got turned on to them by a friend. They're very easy to use. You go onto their website and you, you can check out the kits, the boxes, they come with supplies. So I ordered like one of the, the early packages of just moving boxes, right? So they'll send you like, you know, either wardrobe moving boxes, uh, large moving boxes, medium moving boxes, lar extra large ones, whatever sizes that you need for your house, your apartment, whatever it is, you go to usecardboardboxes.com and you're able to right away get cardboard boxes sent out to you, the supplies like the packing tape, uh, the ability to, to write on the boxes so that way the movers know what room this is going to go to. If you go to our show note links right now, uh, all you got to see is you'll see a link for used cardboard boxes right in there. And you click on that link and at checkout, you're going to enter the promo code new customer, all one word, new customer at checkout. You're going to get 5% off of that purchase. Head to usecardboardboxes.com today. All right. Our thank yous there to Maura Gillespie, uh, Deputy Chief of Staff for Representative Adam Kinziger, uh, you know, she also worked for Speaker of the House, John Boehner, once upon a time, like she mentioned, she's been working in government, what, not about 12 years now. So a lot of great experience there. Uh, Nick, some some takeaways from from more and some of the things she said there. I mean, it's in line for me real quick. It's in line with everything that you're hearing from Republicans that are really trying to distance themselves away from the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Jim Jordans, you know, the Matt Gitzes of the world. Like, I, we don't want to be associated with that. Nobody wants to be associated with that, at least from the Republican side of the House. So um, I'm glad that she said some of those things and then kind of what it's like, you know, in the halls of Congress, echoing what Nolan McCaskill, the congressional reporter that was on the pod, said about that. Um, what are some of your takeaways from from Mora, from what Representative Kinziger is doing, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the law. Well, it's the sort of the micro and the macro here. The, the, at, a, at a smaller level, I think first, shout out to New Jersey producing another, you know, another great person on That's the show. Right. Um, but I think she she strikes an important chord. You know, I, it's it's hard to ignore the tone that she takes when it comes to the extreme part of the, the extreme members of the party. You know, full disclosure, a concern I have about this interview is how honest are we going to get about where the Republican Party is right now? about this very clear fissure um, between the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boebers, people who have no business in being an elected office, full stop. Um, I was glad to see, just to hear the energy she brought of recognizing that that's a portion of the party that is not representative of what um, of what the Republicans are trying to do. And again, regardless of where I live politically, it's nice. It's important to hear that um, at the larger level. I think where what she speaks to is what we're seeing play out through the Lincoln projects through um, when we had Olivia Troy on accountability GOP. Yeah. Thank you. There seems to be the, you know, this growing organism for lack of a better phrase, of these different pockets of moderate Republicans who are recognizing that within government is not the way to try to engage in party reform. And we're seeing all these different subsects of a, of, a, of a push for that. And today was just another example of of another attempt. Um, it's fascinating to me, but it does feel a little almost like the USFL, if I want to use a sports analogy, where you have all these things trying to emerge. But the big piece, the NFL of, of you know conservatism is the Republican Party. What is the answer to that? And it seems like the the grassroots effort that you know soon to be former Representative Kinziger is going to be partaking in is just another way to find. Well, she said it best. He's grown beyond Congress. 
Yeah. Check out that website, countryfirst.com. Like I mentioned, country1st.com. All right, Nick, in our final segment here, uh, Sage Steel. If you don't know who Sage Steel is and- Don't bother knowing. Yeah. yeah, You you don't really need to- Save yours up the internet search. We'll do it for you. (laughs) Okay. So you folks know me. I've worked across the media spectrum. I did work at ESPN for about a year and a half. I, I have met Sage a few times. I did not work with her because I worked- on the Deportes side of the house, but uh, a few different times ran into each other. And we still have mutual friends over there. And I know people that that do speak highly of her at the network. She's very professional. But if you don't know who she is, we're going to play a clip in a second that summarizes who she is. But she's an ESPN anchor and has been there for a while and f- recently filed a lawsuit, a lawsuit excuse me, against the network, alleging a violation of her free speech rights. Okay. So let's take you inside the lawsuit. It was filed in the state of Connecticut, where Steele claims that ESPN has pulled her from usual hosting duties after she criticized the company's vaccine requirement. We're going to play a clip of when she criticized that. That was on the Jay Cutler podcast. Um, She made these comments very critical of Disney last year, saying that, you know, it should be people's choices, et cetera, and that the mandate was sick. Um, the, the suit alleges that ESPN violated her free speech rights, retaliated against her, reprimanded her, scapegoated her, and allowed the media and her peers to excoriate her and, and forced her to apologize simply because her personal opinions did not align with Disney's corporate philosophy of the moment. That's what her attorney, Brian Friedman, said in a statement. Now, ESPN obviously has denied suspending Steele. Uh, we're going to get into something that I thought was really funny at the back end of this, but take a listen to everything I just said, summarize them more from NBC News. She's one of ESPN's biggest stars, even anchoring its flagship broadcast today. Tonight, she's hit the network with a big lawsuit. I respect everyone's decision. I really do. But to mandate it is um, sick. Mm -hmm. And it's scary to me in many ways. Steele, who says she's vaccinated, discussed her COVID views on former NFL quarterback Jay Cutler's podcast back in 2021. Steele brought up comments about her biracial identity, then called out President Obama. Barack Obama chose black and he's biracial. I'm like, well, congratulations to the president. That's his thing. I I think that's fascinating considering his Black dad was nowhere to be found, but his white mom and grandma raised him. But hey, mm-hmm. you do you. That interview, Steele says, led to retaliation for her remarks. It's a little off to see uh, someone who's been there for a while, has, has been developing and kind of and coming along, uh, taking on the network at this point in her career. By early October, ESPN responded, pulling Steele off the air temporarily, saying conversations with the anchor would remain private. Now she's suing for damages and alleged violations of her civil rights. The lawsuit says her employer continued to punish Steele by removing her from prime assignments and bowed to groupthink and forced Steele to publicly apologize and suspended her for a period of time in October 2021. When it comes to free speech, what is protected in the workplace? She works for a private company, and that private company can make employment-based decisions based on what she says. Ding, 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 ding. First off, stage, by the way, I don't know if you've seen Barack Obama's face, but he happens to be a black man. So um, that could be why he identifies as black. I mean, but it's a stupid thing to say. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I want to get into there was a couple of things that I forgot to mention uh, from the lawsuit that I noticed. Um, According to the, the, the suit, like I mentioned, 
Um, it says here in the suit, this is from her attorney, that Connecticut law prohibits private employers from disciplining their employees for engaging in constitutionally protected speech, whether that speech takes place in the workplace or outside of it. Um, the suit says that because she appeared on the podcast as a private citizen on her day off and made it clear she was not speaking on behalf of the company. According to the National Law Review, under Connecticut law, both public and private employees have free speech protections and employers are prohibited from disciplining or discharging employees for exercising their free speech rights within certain limitations. Now, I want to stress this, okay? Free speech is permissible, assuming that it does not interfere with the employee's job performance or relationship with the employer and address a matter of public concern, such as terms and conditions of employment, social justice, among the other reasons, says the National Law Review about this suit. Also in Steel Suit, she said that ESPN has a double standard. It is clear that ESPN selectively enforces its policies based on whether it agrees with the political views of the employee in question. And what they point to was Dan Lebitard and what his comments were around Donald Trump, calling him an old white man or something like to that effect. I'm paraphrasing it. But if you remember, and this is something I'm going to stress to Sage Steel, which I stressed to folks who used Twitter before. So let me get into my diatribe because she said, in that suit that about Lebetard. What did Dan Lebetard immediately do after he felt that ESPN was not necessarily violating his free speech? But what do you think he did, Nick? What do you think he did? No, 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 no. You don't even have to answer. He did exactly what I told you in the Twitter episode. He started his own brand. Hey, Sage. Hey, Sage. You listen to me? Where's that camera? Sage Steele. I worked at ESPN. Okay, you know what that employment contract looks like. You know that you have to get it cleared any type of appearance. Okay, you know you veered off the path because I have worked at other places and have asked to jump on other podcasts. When I worked at Madison Square Garden, I, I was asked to speak on a Rutgers sports podcast, and I was told no because we had a relationship at the time, Madison Square Garden, with Rutgers Athletics and the programming that aired on the network. So they were afraid of a conflict of interest just in case I veered and said the wrong thing. She knows that somebody from ESPN, because they're not stupid. I work there. They're not stupid. Somebody from ESPN, from PR, from HR, et cetera, et cetera, because anchors are treated way differently than PAs, producers, et cetera, et cetera. They have different employment contracts. They have yearly ones right? Or multiple year ones. Whereas we, you know, are, it's not a, I don't have to re up every year, you know, I'm going to keep working there. Um, but she knows that she had to get that appearance cleared. And she knows that they asked Jay Cutler, what questions were going to be on the pod. So, so her saying that it was her day off and she wasn't speaking on behalf of the company is, is outlandish. And that will, that will get brought up in the court of law. If, if, if the ESPN attorneys are smart, the second thing is, is that ESPN didn't lay her off. They asked her, According to her, she's going to have to show correspondence and emails that they asked her to take a break after she uh, had the appearance on the podcast, maybe like a five, six day break. She asked that they were asking her to take a break and they pulled her from some stuff and didn't air her until October 14th. That interview was September 30th. Now, here's the thing. Anchors are always set into rotations. Okay. They are always put across and you get like your schedule, maybe at a two week clip or something like that. And you find out what sports center you're working, if you're going to be remote location, et cetera, et cetera, what, what, what you're going to be doing, what studio, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, ahead of time. So I can't speak to whether or not she got an email 
from Al Jaffe, who's the head of talent over there at ESPN, and told her, hey, you know, we're going to have to sit you out, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how those conversations went. But the facts are this. She was not laid off because of uh, free speech. And also, like that guy mentioned, from whatever HR firm that guy is from, she works for a private employer. Forget about Connecticut law for a second, because I'm sure the Disney attorneys have, with a fine-tooth comb, figured out how to get around some of these things. Because when you work for a company like that, ESPN, for example, we have had a few people that we have tried to get from ESPN on this podcast, right? When we were starting up and we were trying to talk about some issues that intersected with athletics, specifically what happened with the Supreme Court decision and, and, and you know, the name, image, and likeness. And what happened, Nick? We reach out to a PR contact. What does the PR contact say? What are you going to be discussing? Can you give us an outline of some of the questions that you're going to be asking? Same thing happened when we had Trey Yankston from Fox News. All of these things are vetted so you don't run into these type of issues. For Sage to say that it was her free speech, she knows what she's getting into. Everything's outlined there. And, and the corporate has a policy of how they allow anchors to go on other shows. And even people way lower than her, like when I was there and I was trying to get on a podcast of something else. Okay. So that's the first thing. She does not understand what free speech is. You're, you're allowed to say whatever you want. You're allowed to say whatever you want. Just like your job is allowed to can you. They didn't can you. What they did was they held her back because those comments were incendiary to some people, right? And she's saying that it was just because Disney leans this way and they're woke and you know the usual buzzwords that you would see in a normal Fox News segment. And it was it was really uh, annoying to me because as somebody who's worked there that has gone through a similar thing just at a way lower level, I knew that there are certain things that you can't do. Nick Educate LLC listens to this podcast. Stats Perform listens to this podcast. If you and I say anything, right, that is about either of those companies and is about the, the workplace environment, uh, we start venting about our bosses, et cetera, et cetera. Those are, hey, those companies can let us go. That's how it works. We can start our own thing. We're not going to. I'm not going to start a sports data company. Neither are you going to start a, a coaching thing. But but you know what I'm saying? Like it, this is this is not rocket science, folks. You're living in that house. You're a renter. You are a renter in the ESPN house, Sage. Start your own network. Hey, Jay Cutler compared you to Candace Owens, right? What did Candace Owens do? Any any idea? Let me scratch my head here. Any idea what Candace Owens has done, Nick? She started her own thing. Sage Steele, you are free to start your own thing. But you are a renter in the ESPN house. You know how appearances work when you go on other podcasts. You veer on a tangent like that. You're going to get an email from somebody up above. And they didn't let her go. Okay. And, and at the time, I feel like the network was going through some turnover, if you remember, with Marie Taylor and, and what happened with Rachel Nichols, et cetera, et cetera. So they probably wanted to keep her as on-air talent. And now I will let you go because I'm giving you the media assessment as somebody who has worked over there in Bristol, Connecticut before. Nick Savary, what say you about Sage Steele? Yeah, do me a favor, everyone going forward. Uh, if you're going to say free speech or make any reference to the First Amendment, can you show evidence that you've actually read the damn amendment? Um, ESPN is not the federal government. Correct. Um, again, the, the Bill of Rights speaks about federal protections <laughs> or what things the federal government cannot do, ding, specifically ding. that the federal government can't be the one that silences us. You know, if... If someone in the if someone in the feds hears, can we please talk? They don't reserve the right to come down and tell the two of us, don't talk about that. You're not allowed to talk about that. This isn't China, ladies and gentlemen. 
This isn't Cuba. This is not Russia. Um, this is the United States of America, and that is not how we do things here. That said, Mike brings up a really good point. My employer, I have many empl- many members of my company who graciously listen to the show uh, out of support, out of just genuine interest into the topics that we talk about. Um, it is foolish of me <laughs> to consider disparaging a company I have proudly helped to be responsible for its growth um, and have been a proud member of for now 13 years. I'm not really in a space, nor do I have the desire to try to throw that away by dis- by speaking disparagingly uh, of a place and group of people that I've I've come to love and respect and enjoy working with. Um, but I, you know, I'm always mindful. That's always in the back of my head. That is my employer. You know, I can't use a platform. I can't really any in any public space speak disparagingly without my company reserving the right to pull me aside and say, "Hey, man, that's strike one." Right. <laughs> and we may just, you know, strike two, maybe, you know, the end of your days here. And they, it's a private company. They reserve the right to do that. So for Sage Steele to, you know, assume that her civil rights are being violated um, is to tell me that you really actually, you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and I'll be interested to see how far the judge take the, takes this. Right. Folks, Mike is right on this, as always, in matters of media literacy. You don't like the place you're in, start something new. And there are many at ESPN who've gone on and done their own thing. You know, people move. <laughs> you know, they don't like where they are. They get to move. That's, that's the other beautiful thing about this country. But what you will not do is assume that you have the right to say whatever you want on any platform that you want, and your employer will not come after you. I don't get how people don't get this. Uh, we are going to have more on that suit and some other suits that are happening in the legal sphere. We'll have another legal analyst on the podcast in the coming weeks. Uh, speaking of, I have no transition there, Nick, but video, YouTube, you want to watch our interviews, just go over to youtube.com, type in, can we please talk? You can see the latest video with Maura Gillespie and our fantastic interview with her and all the work that she's doing on the Country First initiative there. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Please leave us a five-star review and comment, please. It really helps us, folks, if you can. Shout out to our hosting platform, Acast. As always, we could not do it without them. And we can't do it without each and every one of you listening to this program. As always, I am Mike Leon. Grateful for those who write, whether you agree with us or not. Thank you so much for paying attention. Thank you for getting into discourse, whether we, again, we agree with you or not. To those who, you know, brought white Europeans, all that stuff. However I feel about you, I am grateful that you're listening to the show. I'm Nick Saberi. Next week, I'll read Nick's text messages about all that because it doesn't say any of that on this. (laughs) See everybody (laughs) next time. Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.